Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. And I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. At the Business Creators Radio Show, we go where you go to have those mastermind experiences and aha moments that bring you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Broadcasting to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America. Sometimes in the background, you may hear a little bit of ambient noise, a conversation nearby, a bird sharping, a car driving by. That's because these are the places where you have those profound discoveries. So rather than do something artificial, we keep it real, raw, and in the field. And today, today, we have somebody who is going to be very, very, very interesting for you as we speak on the topic of why making life easier for employees is the cornerstone of great leadership. And I have somebody on here for you today who has been somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a while. And I'm so glad that we've been finally able to connect and bring him here. He's probably going to correct me in about two seconds because I dove into this so quickly that uh, I forgot to confirm one little fact, but he will confirm it for us when we begin. Um, His name is Raj Sundarison, and he may correct me on that pronunciation. Let me just tell you a little little bit about Raj. He's the author and vice president for the world's premier digital adoption platform provider, and he knows firsthand the challenges associated with employee improving employee motivation. For example, he's led large teams that upgraded technology systems for 26,000 employees spanning 12 countries with multiple time zones and languages. Obviously, not every task will be easy. That said, Raj believes that focusing on the human element of work and transforming outdated systems to make the task simpler and more streamlined for employees is the first step to improving career-related quality of life. Raj, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you having me on your show today, Adam. Yep. And this is where, and this is where I believe the little humility comes into play. Um, did I pronounce your name correctly? Uh, close enough. It's Sundarason, but I'll accept your pronunciation. Sundar Asin. Well, I'd rather get it right, so we're going to go with that. Let me Sundar Asin. All right, very good. So I read off just a piece of your bio. It's so impressive that I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here or not. And this is my show. So uh, what we like to do before we dive in, we're going to have a very interesting conversation, is have you tell us a bit in your own words about what has brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I think you're very kind with um, talking about the words brilliance, but I think I'm not, I'm not brilliant. I think I'm passionate, but certainly not brilliant. I think where um, my journey truly began was when I started working um, with customers around trying to solve their problems. And as we started peeling back the layer, 
we started seeing that work became far more complex. Yeah. And as I worked with organizations, not only did I see that complexity, I actually started to see the passion uh, and the desire of employees, you know, just disappear in front of my eyes. I saw the love of work just get sucked out of them, the passion get sucked out of them. And I said, there must be a reason why this is happening. And when I started to really peel back the onion around digital transformations, what I learned was they weren't being very successful uh, in spite of the trillions of dollars that were being spent on them. And at the same time, employees simply just weren't enjoying themselves. And I said, look, there's got to be a better way to figure this out. And this is where this notion of digital adoption came from. And that's uh, the inspiration for my book. So, you know, one of the things to, to think about, you know, as, as we did the research was, um, you know, by 2024, 2025, over a trillion dollars worth of software would have been purchased in chasing this dream of a digital transformation. Now, the majority of this dream comes from a belief that deploying technology is gonna improve productivity. But the research suggests that over the last 15 years, specifically in North America, productivity has effectively been flat in spite of these investments. And so as, you start, as, as we started to peel back the onion, what we were trying to understand is why was, what, what was triggering this? Um, because every senior stakeholder that we met was doing a digital transformation program. Just to give you a sense of you know, how significant this challenge is, right? We estimate, or the analysts estimate, between three and $5 trillion are spent annually on this problem. But Gartner, the technology analyst, you know, suggests that you know, if you're doing one of these programs, you've got a one in four chance of realizing the value that you first hoped to have realized. So just think about it. You're in, you're, you're in Vegas, so this, this, this will resonate. You, can, you have more chance of flipping a coin, calling heads or tails and being right, right, than you have in actually realizing the value of the tens of millions of dollars you're staking on your technology program. So let that sit for a moment. Um, now, as, 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 I, as I progressed through my journey and worked with different organizations, you know, one of the things I started to see was um, this notion of the equity contract between employer and employee just grow and grow and grow. The gap was so large. And I predict, and I lay out some predictions in my book, that by 2025, a digital adoption strategy will become a core talent acquisition strategy. And what do I mean by that? I mean that digital employee experience will become a top five question on a candidate's decision criteria and whether to join your organization. You know, they're gonna ask, hey, how are you gonna help me do my day, my day job, right? Companies that don't have a legitimate answer will not merely struggle with, you know, first day churn of new hires, but will struggle to attract the right talent and skills because people will simply not wanna to come to work and put up with the complexity of work. And 
the, the heart of the book that I wrote, The DAP Strategy, is really a playbook on how organizations need to rethink complexity of work and how to go about simplifying work so that you know, the end employee uh, can have a better outcome. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. And you know what? Uh, I think it's a bunch of BS and I blame all these millennials for it. I mean, think about these lazy, entitled people who actually expect uh, uh, workplaces to do something for them. Now that you have uh, caught that I'm being highly sarcastic here, and I'm glad you caught that. This is a point I've made on several episodes of this show. Uh, people like to call millennials lazy, entitled, expecting their employer to work for them, all kinds of pejoratives. But here's what I see. I myself am Gen X, so I'm on the tail end of Gen X. I was born in 1976. So the millennials are just four years behind me. So I've worked with a lot of millennials ever since the beginning of my career. And I can tell you that these are people who are actually highly motivated. They're committed. They really want to do a great job. They want to be seen as valuable. And here's where I think the break point was. The millennial generation, and when you go into the generations that have followed it, were the first to have access to the internet at a point where the internet was developed enough where there was a body of information that enabled them to gather data that helped them question the status quo that had been passed down generationally through patterning uh, through all the generations leading up to the Gen Xers, where you heard phrases like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And then the old tropes about uh, be loyal, work hard, uh, find your way toward your pension and your shack and your gold watch in Fort Lauderdale and all that. None of that stuff exists anymore. So the millennials, the Gen Zers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where they see themselves is they want to feel, they just simply want to feel like the work that they do makes a difference, makes the company and the world a better place because they're doing it and gives themselves a sense of fulfillment. And we're at a point where from the millennials downward in age, they're now the absolute majority of the corporate workplace. They're the absolute majority of the entrepreneurial space. So not only does this factor and these thoughts have a dominant position, but it's actually spread upwards to the Xers, the baby boomers, et cetera, who are looking at this and saying, well, hey, what about me? I want to feel like I'm making a difference too. I want a workplace that supports me. I want to have an entrepreneurial path or a career path that allows me to make a difference. And to me, I think it's just a good thing all the way across. No, I, I think I think you're right. And what you're talking about is, you know, when I talk about this equity contract between employer and employee, it's exactly that. It's not about the swag you give out at work. It's not about, you know, the free meals that you, that you have. It's really about, you know, people feeling connected to what they do and being rewarded for the impact that they can have at work. And, you know, if we can reduce the complexity uh, of work and we can help people do their jobs better, then I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's a big responsibility on an organization to ensure that the fruits of the labor, right, of, of anything that becomes positive, uh, equally passed down the chain so that you know people and technology or rather technology can truly have an impact on humanity and i think that's the part that's missing at the moment people don't feel 
part of the conversation and they're not, ex they're not experiencing the fruits of that. And I think that's a big thing that we've got to resolve. Yeah. So in a second, I want to get into uh, simplicity and innovation of technology, but you've already raised things like how to make it simple, how to make technology actually adaptable. So one of the sweet spots of not only the business creators, radio shows, listeners, which is one of the reasons I want to have you here, but also some of the private business consulting I do has to, it evolves around when businesses and entrepreneurial ventures reach that point where they cross over from being solopreneurial to having a team, whether that's employees, virtual contractors, whatever it is. And particularly in a, an environment where people are frequently not in the same place at the same time, often not even in the same time zone, much less in that, the same continent, we need to deal with the asynchronous nature of virtual teams in both culture and the time that they work to make this flow efficiently. And that leads to project management systems. Now, as soon as I say project management systems, you could probably name six. And I could probably give you a list of six and we'd probably have an overlap of about two. There are so many out there that all claim to be the best. And so my answer when this question comes to me is simply what you do is you find the one that meets the needs of your organization where it is right now is likely to meet the needs of where your organization is going to be six months from now and is going to be fun for the people who are using it to use. And that's the most important thing. If it's not fun, they're not going to do it. No matter how many directives you put out, anything like that, because eventually you're going to get to a point where people are just not going to participate in it. And when you try and force them to, they're going to fold their arms and say, go ahead, make me. No, I, th I think I, th I think that's a very very um, uh, that's a succinct way of putting it. I, I like to talk about it in in three elements. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time on the what and the why. What am I buying? Why am I buying it? Right. But they don't spend enough time on how am I going to use what I buy for the purpose of why I buy it. And this is the notion of digital adoption. So just think, think for a moment, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, for you to get around, you use a GPS. Right? Yes. I'm, right. And I don't think anybody taught you how to use a GPS. You just opened the app and just said to you, where do you want to go? Uh, where are you now? And even the where are you now, it kind of picked it up. Right? It, does, it doesn't require a lot of training. In fact, I have a GPS in my vehicle. I use it even when I know where I'm going because, A, I'm paying for it regardless. And, B... It's actually, to me, a safety feature. What if you run into some unexpected traffic backup? You need to find alternative routes. Well, your GPS, you just start driving. You take the nearest exit, and it will find another path for you. And this is what you, you, you just nailed it on the head, what a digital adoption solution does. Right? So when you think about technology being overlaid of technology, over being sitting on top of technology, saying, okay, what do you want to do today? And it basically guiding you, go here, click here, do that. And then if you've made a mistake, something comes up, hey, by the way, you might need to, you know, do this instead of that. So that's, you, you know, you miss a turn, your GPS tells you that. Um, and then, you know, if, you're, if it suddenly realizes you're going to make the same mistake that 20 other people did, and it's going to prompt you to say, hey, do this instead of that. Now, all of a sudden, what you've done is you've taken the friction out of work. You haven't taught somebody how to drive, right? But yeah. you've just taken the friction of how you get to the end destination. And the whole goal of technology has to be 
how do you simplify work? How do you impact humanity using the technology? And so that notion, the question that we need to be relentless around is how, and I call it the power of how. Okay. I like, I like that, the power of how. So you made the argument, Raj, that uh, simple and innovative technology can only make work more efficient, but also improves their quality of life. Yes. So when, when, you, when you think about it, right, um, productivity, kind of, I, I, I like to describe it in, in very simple imagery. So I, I talk about the baby user. I'm not saying you're a baby or I'm a baby, but the baby user of technology. When we get new technology, all of us are baby users because we don't know really what to do. And the key is how can we go from sitting to crawling to walking to running, right? And the whole notion is let's figure a way to take that friction out and let's try and get technology to help us to get to running because the sooner we get running, the more efficient we're going to get. The more efficient we're going to get, the more effective we're going to get. The more effective we get, basically we're going to have an impact on the business outcomes of the organization. Now that's all great, but the reality of what we live in today, we live in the world of the cloud, is such that we are, it's guaranteed to change because of functional releases. I mean, there was um, a HR software uh, company, well, software provider, who had a new release. And I had the privilege of looking at the 120 page uh, update document of everything wow. that had changed. 120 pages, right? And guess what? There are four releases in a year. Now, you know, we've learned, right, that as human beings, as we get older, our ability to remember it, you know, it is, is gonna be a challenge. So just, just think about this, right? One platform, 100 pages, let's see. You know, on average, um, a company has 117 platforms that people have to use at some point in the day. There was some research done by Constellation Research. If I wasn't mistaken, the average cost uh, technology cost per user was $117,000 a year. That's nuts. Wow. Right. That's, so, so when you, that's, in some cases, that's more than our total compensation package, including benefits right. and fringes. Now, you have all that there. Now, what's the, what's the challenge? The challenge is you don't use it. You don't use it. Now, the tech debt climbs. So the key is how can you create an environment where every time you've got a change, I call it a hurdle or an obstacle, you know, the baby user doesn't go from running to walking to crawling, but has the ability to hurdle the obstacle to continue running, right? And that's what we need to be focused on. And, the, and a digital adoption platform allows you to do that because you start understanding where people or what obstacles are tripping people up. Now, as you do that, just think about it, right? You come to work, instead of pulling your hair out and trying to solve a business problem, you're actually gliding through these processes and what that's doing is it's creating an, a, an aura or a, or a heightened self-esteem situation where all of a sudden, you know, you're growing confidence. You, you feel that you're impacting business, right? You have a smile on your, work, uh, on your face. And this yep. notion of the great resignation kind of peters out a little bit because you're, you're content with where you are. You're having an impact of where, where you are. And so technology 
and the implementations. You know, I'm challenging the, the, the mindset of let's stop with what am I buying, why am I buying, but how are people going to use it to have a more productive day? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when I think of the great resignation, we've discussed this here on our show as well. Uh, to me, it's more like the great realignment. Uh, a lot of people are quitting their jobs and believe that a number of things have driven what's been called the great resignation. Uh, when the bug hit us two and a half years ago, that was a big driver because it forced sudden abrupt changes on businesses. But at the same time, I believe that uh, those changes in business and how business operates had been brewing for my entire time since I finished college, which was over 20 years. And it was a cataclysmic event or an event that was presented as cataclysmic. So I'm covering both sides of the debate there. Uh, Force these changes upon us and to put it some kind of a Wild West thing. And so now people are looking at this. They've seen their culture change. They've seen their quality of life change. They've seen everything about the world change, at least within their purview. And they're looking at the work they've been doing up until then. They're thinking, is this valuable? Is this my intersection to my brilliance and my passion? So they're not quitting to go couch surf. They're go quitting to take this opportunity to realign their life, maybe find a different career. So part of this realignment is you have people jumping into different spots. So, and to me, it's just, you know, so I look at it, I, the term I like to use is I like to call it the great correction. Well, you know, what, 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 what the, what the pandemic did do, right. It, it, it opened our eyes to other things that were important to us. You know, there was a whole notion, do you live to work or do you work to live? Yeah. Um, But what the pandemic did was, you know, it created, a ton of, um, you know, uh, uh, new bakers, right? Um, it created a, a ton of new pet owners. It created a bunch of new fitness enthusiasts, which was great because, you know, what we, what we all needed was this balance, right? And again, when you, when you start thinking about uh, work, right? In the book, I, I talk about the overwhelmed employee, Right. Because you go to work and you're simply overwhelmed with the complexity. You're simply overwhelmed with the volume. It's a weight on, you know, you've got this weight on your shoulders and you don't seem to have a way out because, you know, the pace and the velocity of change is just accelerating day by day, which then makes it, you know, this, you know, this vicious cycle, which then saying, you know what, I'm tapping out and, you know, the data is pretty clear in North America, over 4 million people are tapping out every month. Uh, and it's not about, um, you know, shortage of opportunity, because I think the last time I checked, there were between 12 and 14 million jobs out there. Um, just yeah, that sounds about right. So, you know, very, very interesting piece where, you know, we, we now really have to look at the individual and solve the problem. It used to be we're solving a organization problem then we were talking about we were going to uh, we were going to solve a function problem well actually i think we really need to start at the, the, at the at the common denominator of the entire pyramid we need to solve an individual employee's problem so that each individual employee can do their jobs to the best of their ability and they can feel that that work is meaningful and if they feel it's meaningful then what you're going to have is the recalibration, realignment, whatever, however you want to describe it, all of a sudden peters out a little bit because people are getting purpose out of what they do. And that's really, you know, the essence of 
technology must have an impact on humanity. If not, it's a waste of time. Right, 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 right. So here's some, here's a, a little factoid here, and this is one of the changes, and I think this, you'll see in a second why I think this ties to digital transformation. Um, when the bug hit and one of the changes that we saw happen is we found out in real time the efficacy of allowing certain classes of employees, certain types of workers to work from home or work remotely. Uh, and it wasn't a matter of, well, let's debate uh, whether we should have everybody in our cubicle farm so they can all be present and all this. It became a matter of you either let your employees work from home or your business has to cease its operations because they're not allowed to leave their houses. Okay. So we had this situation that was already in place where certain types of workers, certain types of contributors were put into this industrial revolution model of going somewhere and working from eight to five with their 30 minute lunch and two mandated 15 minute breaks. Then you pair that with studies that have been developed over the past several years. And I've read several of these and there's kind of an average to them that for like knowledge workers in an office environment, you put them in that, you put them in that cubicle farm for eight hours a day. The average amount of time that they spend that is of any value to the company whatsoever is approximately two hours and 53 minutes. And what's the rest of it spent on? Pointless meetings, office politics, making sure we CC people in the correct order in emails, uh, endless ranting about, oh my God, it just goes on and on and on. So now you're wasting five hours, you're paying people for five hours a day of nothing. And now you go to studies that also existed that show that if somebody was working from home uh, full time or working remotely, that they would probably contribute on average four to five hours. Somewhere, I think the number I saw something like four hours and 32 minutes of time that was valuable to the company. So just sending them home raised that metric. And we discovered for certain things that we thought that people had to be in a cubicle farm for, like let's say customer service. Well, as long as they have access to technology that lets them look up the customer records, as long as they're on the live chat that allows them to rope in a supervisor or IT or somebody to solve a customer service situation, and as long as they answered that thing promptly, they could still deliver the same quality level of service. So let's say you have that customer service rep in there working from home, Um, and you want to speak out about equity contracts and making deals and things like that. So yeah, while they're at home, they may have their laundry going in the background, or they may be homeschooling their kids and need to go over every so often to check in on their lessons or something like that. But as long as they promptly respond when that customer service thing dings and they deliver great service to that customer, how is that a bad thing? So, so let me let me share with you a real story, and this is uh, you know how chapter one of my book opens up. Um, you know, so in September of 2019, intense bushfires began to rage right across Australia. It's it's an annual thing. I remember, and, right? And you know, we 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 we, we almost you know call it you know uh, the Black Summer. And to give you a sense of scale, right? I mean, uh, more than 70,000 square miles of destruction. I mean, I mean, this is this. Admittedly, a lot of it was in the middle of nowhere, but some of it did impact um, people. More than 450 million reptiles, birds, and mammals, you know, destroyed. Yeah. Um, 
And what was interesting was the fires destroyed close to 6,000 buildings and 3,000 homes, according to the Insurance Council of Australia. Now, with those, when those fires rampaged, two things happened, right? It started recalibrating the atmosphere. And so um, two things happened, right? One, the, the atmosphere started being recalibrated and all of a sudden, you know, you started seeing thunderstorms. But in parallel, the government started seeding the clouds, right? Because they needed to put out the fires. So, okay, fires came, uh, the, fire, the, the fires were going, the rains came. Now, the problem is because of such extreme shifts in temperature and weather, right, those showers that came resulted in flash floods, so more destruction. Okay, so first, if it wasn't the fires that got you, it would be the flash floods. And then on top of that, as the flood, as those, as those showers disappeared, the next wave of showers were actually hailstones from the seeding of the clouds. And the stones that were falling were almost the size of golf balls. And what were they doing? They were basically destroying windshields of cars, right? Anything that was glass. Right. So you, can, you have this. You, so you have this, this this big continuous picture of destruction. So what, what what's going on here, right? People needed insurance claims. So what do they do? Right. They, they you know they were desperate. No homes. No cars. How do I get to work? How do I do my job? And they tried calling the insurance. They just couldn't get through. So customer service shot to pieces. Right. Now, good business practice will say, hey, we need a plan A and a B. And that plan B was to offshore some of this customer service um, to a lower cost market. No problem with that. What happened then? We got hit with the pandemic. What happened with the pandemic? All those additional customer service reps overseas were shipped home. They didn't have the infrastructure to work from home. Right. So what you now had was, right, you know, John and, and Sharon and their kids, all they wanted basically was help from the insurer to get their lives back on track and nobody could help them, right? So what happened was somebody said, hey, why don't we leverage technology in the form of a digital adoption solution whereby we can get generalists into the local office where they can be guided through those processes and we can begin to start fielding and executing on claims so that we can help families get their feedback on the ground. Now, ordinarily, if you didn't focus on the how, just on the what and the why, this program of work would have taken easily 12 months to do. This insurer was able to put everything up and get it going in two months, and they were able to write sure uh, support capability using generalists, using technology to help process claims. And so to your point, right, it shouldn't matter where the work is done. It just, it should matter on how you get collaboration going to get the best outcome for the customer. Right. Um, I'm, th- I'm, th- I'm putting myself in a position of somebody who needed to file that claim and all these calamities kept piling up. And really, all I want to do is I want to file my insurance claim. You know, at that point, I'm less concerned with where the person who's taking my claim is sitting than that they're taking my claim. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the whole thing is how, not do I have a claim system, not uh, what is the claim system, but how are people using the claim system, both customer and employee 
to get it done. And that's the focus. That's, that really has to be the focus. And so, you know, I get, I get a bit controversial when I go and visit customers and I meet senior execs and, you know, I ask them point blank, have you used the system? And they just kind of look at me and I said, do you understand the complexity of end to end? Because if you don't, then how are you in a position to help the people who are, who in, t- in tandem, when they do use these systems, actually impact the financial and operational metrics of the company, which is the reason why you bought the software in the first place. Yeah. Right. And, and so what you're starting to see is, um, you know, as we, as we shift and we, we, I don't like to use the word churn through, but as, as we evolve the, the, the middle management layer, we're going to start seeing millennials, Gen Zs come through the system. We're going to say, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to allow people to put up with it because I can't put up with it. And if I can't solve it and I don't understand it, how do I expect them to? And that's the thing that, you know, I, can, I think we're going to see a lot more of. And I hope we do. You know, that's quite interesting, the way that you go in and ask that question. You ask the senior management or the project leads or whoever, if they're using the software themselves and then you find out and it doesn't surprise me one bit that many of them report back that they don't so what i immediately saw the vision of and i think we see this way too often and whether it's large companies small companies even entrepreneurial ventures only have three people involved where the lead person or the executive would have you is not using the system and then they wonder why nobody else is and then they yeah. don't hear the challenges that are in place to get that system to be used. I remember myself, uh, I worked for a, a mid-sized company for a few years before I became full-bore entrepreneurial. And in the, in the few months before I was on my way out, uh, we, uh, they, well, they were in the process of creating a new system for managing their cases. And I remember I quit the job just as uh, their deadline was looming. I think I left it, I left there on something like September 2nd, and it was due to be completely implemented by September 11th. And I knew at the time that there was no way they were going to even come close. But yeah, you had all that fist pounding from the corner office about how heads were going to roll if it wasn't done by September 11th. And then you also had a queue that was about three and a half miles long of specific cases where people were having difficulty implementing it based on the limitations of the software. Yeah. I mean, I talk about act and impact, and I think senior leaders spend a lot of time on the act of the transformation, but not truly understanding the impact. And if you don't understand the impact, I, 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 again, you know, one of the challenging questions I asked them around the digital transformation programs, I said, look, you've obviously got senior buyer on these programs of work. He said, yeah. So I said, there's obviously a business case which has a benefits case attached to it. He said, yeah. I said, who's seen it? And everybody kind of looks at me. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, so you've got these people implementing this solution, but they have no idea what the benefits case was meant to be. And they're not measuring based on that benefits case. So they don't have a North Star, right? So how do you expect yeah. to get the value out of that? And they're like, I said, well, what use is that benefits case? Which, you know, the emotion that went into that benefits case, I, I can imagine was pretty high. So now how are you going about measuring, or holding yourself accountable to what you promised you were going to deliver? 
And I said, don't hide the document. Take the document out. Challenge the assumptions that were made there, but give people direction to say, if you were going to, if you were going to deploy this CRM system, and you know the goal was to reduce support calls by 50%, which effectively would be $3 million, then make sure people know how to use it so you're going to reduce support calls. There's no point putting it in. And, you, and, and what typically happens with new implementations is that your support calls go through the roof when you roll out a new system. Because just because it looks slightly different, because it's blue or green, that's enough to throw someone off. I mean, we're yep. probably from the same generation. I don't know when you were growing up, but when I was, there were really three mobile phone brands, Nokia, Motorola, and Ericsson. Those are the yep. three. I had I had to, I had two out of those three and nobody had heard of an iPhone or an Android or even a lot of other the other companies that are out there. Uh, the idea of Samsung being a player in the market, nobody thought of Samsung back when I first started having cell phones. And the interesting thing around all of that, the biggest barrier to someone switching cell phone, right, was actually how do you send an SMS? How do you send a text message? Because how you did it on Nokia was very different from how you did it on a Motorola, even though it was the same thing. Yeah. Right. And and that was the ba- that that was the baseline, right, to a barrier to change. Now think about, take that and extrapolate that across your technology stack within your organization. Right. It doesn't matter whether it's the same brand. If it looks different, that means it feels different. If it feels different, it is different. And if it is different, right, the human psyche is going to be challenged to process that difference. And that's really important to understand today, in today's hey, context. When I first started texting, we were using our number pads and like hitting four times to get to S and uh, yep. two, three times to get to, to E and all that. So uh, yeah, and then having to wait for the cursor to move. So they recognize <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, was, I was there for that. And yeah, you raise a very interesting point. That even just a change in the colors and the change in the fonts, we didn't mention fonts. Uh, like if you switch from some bare bones looking thing that still uses, uh, God, I even hate to say these words, Times New Roman. But now you have this really sleek looking thing with Century Gothic fonts. Just, you know, and Century Gothic is really, it's really modern looking. It's very... Um, you know, it, uh, it appeals to the minimalist market because of how simple the, sh- the font structure is. Just switching to that makes people think, wait a minute, am I at a department store now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, let me give you an example of how it has worked, right? I th- you know, we, we talked about, you know, the insurer in Australia. Uh, I'll talk about a very large British bank. Um, and what they were trying to do was they were trying to uh, improve um, employee engagement. So they were trying to make sure that everybody was engaged and they wanted to make sure everybody was aligned to the goals of the company. And they, they, you know, in my discussions with their, their, their chief uh, human resource officer, I said, you know, what is the goal that you have? And said, look, Raj, we're trying to make sure that, you know, we're we're keeping in, in step with company goals. So we want to improve our media review process. And, you know, when people hear media review process, like, oh my God, that means somebody wants to spy on me and someone wants to beat me. And, 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 and they were having a problem because um, less than 13, one, three, less than 13% of their employees 
we're actually doing the media review process in the system. Okay. Wow. And I said, okay, less than 13%. This is a global bank, less than 13%. So, you know, do just, you know, math-wise, let's say they had 100,000 people and they weren't far off. Only 13,000 people were. Okay. Now, what they said to me was they wanted to raise it. They said, you know, they could double it, triple it. That would be magnificent. But they didn't have enough uh, funding to go and hire people, to go and cajole people to do it, right? Because, you know, the traditional part is, here's an email, please do it. Then all of a sudden your boss has a conversation, please do it. Then the big boss comes out and then you think you need to do it. And then, you know, it all falls apart. So what happened was, right, we kind of stepped into the seat of the, the user and we said, okay, what's the biggest challenge in all of this, right? First of all, I didn't want to do it. Okay, so how can I grab my attention? So on your computer screen, as you're doing work, all of a sudden, uh, you know, this image pops up, says, hey, you've got to do your, your review process. And if you don't know how to do it, click the link now and we'll make it easy for you, right? So they clicked on the link and they took them into the application because one of the biggest challenges that organizations have is people don't know where to find the application they're supposed to use. Remember, they've got like... Yeah. You know, seventeen hundred applications that they're, 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 they're using. Now it takes you into it, and immediately now, like your GPS, you're guided through the process. And as you go through that process, you may have said, "Hey, I forgot," you know, what this means. And now, you know, all of a sudden there are, you know, icons there that you know you hover over, and it tells you, "Well, in this field, right, you need to put your date of birth, and this is the format. It's day, day, month, month, year, year, not." Yeah. Yeah, 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 month, month, day, day. Right now, imagine if you didn't know that, right? There's a bit of friction, you need some help, you gotta call someone, you gotta look for look for a document. So you go through this whole thing, you get to the end. Now, that's kind of like the general provisor. Now, strategically, the alignment process is so important because if you can get people aligned with objectives, right, and you can optimize what they do right, uh, with added training, and then you can accelerate it because of the analytics, you close what business, uh, business strategists call the execution gap. You're closing the gap. And the smaller the gap, the, the higher the chances of you executing on strategy or realizing strategy, which is great. So we did this for them um, with minimal investment because they already had the software. And the results were staggering, right? So first of all, you know, they wanted to go from 13% to maybe 39%. They'd be delighted. They didn't. They went from 13% to 92% completion. Wow. And let's sit there for a minute. 13 to 92. The next thing, which was interesting, was they knew that people were going to need help. So did they? So they, they had to be prepared to increase the help desk in case people say, hey, what do I do here? What do I do there? Well, guess what? Because we built the right content, when people ran into trouble, they engaged with the platform, say, hey, what do I do here? And it says, oh, you've got to put in your, the format's got to look like this. So now what you were doing, you were deflecting those support calls, right? You were deflecting those calls that went to trainers. You were deflecting it to the tune of six in 10 were actually using the in-application assistance to self-serve. So now you're deflecting cost and time. But the most amazing part of it all, because you could measure everything, right? The people who were using the, the, the assistance 
were actually completing the process, the entire process, a whole 42 minutes faster than those who weren't. So not only did you get a better outcome, not only were you able to reduce costs to serve in terms of people calling up for help, you were getting people through the process a whole 42 minutes faster than those who didn't. So there was you know, a net win for everybody in the organization. And that really is what I call a digital employee experience that is by excellence because that is what the end user is looking for. They're looking for to turn up, switch on the tap, and all they're looking for is water to run. That's all they're looking for. They're not waiting for anything. They're not trying to figure out, hey, do I have to go switch, you know, look at the plumbing? Do I have to go and pump something in a well? No, you switch on the tap and water runs and I know how to get the water. Yeah, yeah. See, that right there, that right there is quite something, just that ability to make that shift. I mean, you still have me at from 13% to 92%. <laughs> True story. It's, uh, it's, it's available out in the, in the web. Uh, amazing, amazing story for a global bank. Yeah, yeah. So in your experience, now let's switch to the competitive advantage. Um, you know, what is your organization, what must they do to ensure that these successful digital transformations give them the competitive advantage they need? I think, the, and, and it's a really good question. I think for the longest time, people have spent most of their time um, at the bottom layer of, you know, uh, you know, the technology stack, right? So I've got technology, I've got to deploy it, and hopefully someone's going to use it. Well, I like to flip it around now, and I, and, and I ask people, before you even touch the technology stack, um, which, of which level are you trying to impact in the business? Because, you know, you're making investments because you want a return. So is it a return on revenue? Is it a return on risk? Is it a return on cost, right? And it might be all three, which is great. So if, it's that's, if that's the case, then, okay, what are the operational and financial metrics you're trying to impact? Are you clear on what those are? So let's go back to that business case. Let's look at that benefits case. If it's about, I want to take 10 heads out. Is it about, I want to drive productivity? Is it about, I want to make it easier so my quote specialist, right, um, can basically churn out 20% more quotes because we have the data to say, you know, for every additional 10 quotes that you push out, we make $1,000, right? Now, if that's the case, okay, now let's go down to finally the technology layer. What are those processes that are going to help us actually impact getting quotes out? You know, one of them might be, oh, we need to understand the reference numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there was one company who did that, right? And, you know, the systems didn't tie, so you had to cut and paste, right? So you had to search for the number, copy the number, paste it into the next system, hit enter, and then it gave you some data. That process, right, typically took 22 seconds. Now you say, what the heck is 22 seconds? Yeah. Well, by, by leveraging some automation in that process, they shrunk that from 22 seconds down to seven seconds. Okay. So now you say, well, so what? Big deal. Well, it did become a big deal because that process was used 64,000 times in a month, right? So you extrapolate that out over a year, right? It all adds up. So what you do is 
you're now building content, you're building assistance to solve for specific problems that have a financial, cashable impact to the business. And that is the key. So if there's anything that anybody takes out here, the question is, hey, what am I trying to impact? Is it cost, revenue, risk? What are the operation and financial levers associated with each of those? Okay, now let's go build stuff that impacts that at the technology layer, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense right there. And, uh, you know, what jumped out at me, and I know this isn't exactly what you're saying, is when you said 22 seconds, I think of something that uh, I've heard called the microwave effect. And what I mean by that, Raj, is you know how when you put something in the microwave and let's say that uh, let's say it says it's going to take three minutes for it to cook. Well, if you yep. notice it by if you notice that that three minutes seems to go for like 28 hours and they're like after the first 45 seconds, you're almost ready to open the microwave and see if it's warm enough because you just can't freaking wait anymore. Yeah. So when it comes to digital technology, people have become accustomed to the idea of something instantaneous. So 22 seconds matters in ways that uh, were outside the answer you gave and are really impacting us at levels we don't often think about. Now think about, take that solution now that I just described, right? The 22 seconds brought down to seven, right? That particular individual now being able to churn out 20% more uh, quotes, which then entail them actually, you know, driving 10, 15% more revenue, which that means them exceeding their targets, which that means then they take home more, more, more money, which that means gives them a better quality of life, gives them a better opportunity for medical, healthcare, education, vacation, housing. Surely, surely that has to be the core tenant of technology because it must impact humanity. And that's why I'm so passionate about this whole notion of digital adoption. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in me, in me as well, I believe that, uh, I believe that just this whole thing, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you today is there's so much gold to be mined when it comes to uh, digital transformation and digital and digital implementation that often gets mixed, missed rather, because it gets juxtaposed against some other business models. So let's say we have, let's say we're going to do a digital implementation. Well, do we really need to create 20,000 rules on how to make it work other than just using it? Because I've seen, I've seen, I've seen that happen. And here's another, here's another thing you mentioned earlier an HR software that does four releases a year. And each time they do a release, the documentation or the change log is something like 120 pages. So the question I have for you is, do they really have to save up and do it quarterly or couldn't they do this more incrementally as they go along? So the challenge is, right, is the waves of change. Would you prefer one big wave or do you want multiple waves? And I think um, the, my answer is I don't want a wave, full stop, right? And, and so I think the, the onus needs to be on product developers to create an environment where when you switch it on, you, you have a me mechanism 
that just makes it easy. And right now, they're more focused on, hey, is my mousetrap better than the competitor's mousetrap? Rather than, are my users, are my customers using my mousetrap more than my customer's mousetrap? And I think that's, that's the conversation change that needs to take place. Yeah, I think I think that has something to do with it. See, a while ago, and I can't remember who it was, we interviewed somebody on this show, and it was actually an episode about branding. Now, I have uh, it's been my belief all along that every three to five years, it's worth it to update your brand. You and I discussed earlier how uh, changes of something as simple as colors and fonts can create uh, a disconnect or at very least some confusion. Now. One of the reasons you might want to rebrand every three to five years is so that it makes what you're doing fresh again. It makes it new again. Now, this particular guest, and I wish I could remember the name, but we've had so many, their recommendation, particularly when it comes to updating the website, is just do things you go along. I mean, rather than every five years, hire another company and pay them another $7,000 to completely rebuild the website, just change as you go along. So at one point, if you want to change a logo, change a logo. If at another point you want to change to a different shade of purple as the primary brand color, just make that change. If you uh, if you have the opportunity to use a different font, do you think is closer to what will be received well by your customer avatar? Just make that change rather than trying to force the whole thing all at once. Well, you know, in an ideal world, that makes sense. But it also then you have to you, one of the variables that you have to take into consideration is. Uh, are your customers continuously using your system? Because yeah. if they're continuously using your system, those small little tweaks, they'll be able to digest. Yeah. But the chat, but when you think of a HR system for a moment, right? Outside of your recruiters or your core HR people, most of your employees who you've actually rolled it out to, who will probably use it to take vacation and have to do goal setting. Right. So they'll probably touch the system six times a year. Right. right. So in the first instance, they don't know what's going on. And now all of a sudden, you know, they've got this document that they've stored in their, in their drawer because they can say, oh, next time I need to use, use the system, I, I need all the help I can get. And it's in this, in, it's in this document. <laughs> then they turn up, they switch it on. And all of a sudden they say, well, hang on a second. The system looks nothing like the document because the document's now outdated, right? Yeah. So, so what you have is this, this whole thing is, the human condition struggles with change. And instead of trying to solve and, and solve and make sure we can get the human condition to change, why not rethink the problem and, make, and, and create a solution where the human condition doesn't need to change? Because that's really what, this, what, 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 what it's all about. Yeah, and that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So uh, I remember myself back in 2012, uh, I did some presentations from stages and I sold a whole bunch of memberships in a four week course I was creating that was called build your site on WordPress. And so we took our, and this was geared toward people who wanted to have the ability to build their websites themselves, or at least understand the process. So there were two avatars for one of which were um, small entrepreneurs, uh, small entrepreneurial ventures that wanted to keep their budgets down and also digital marketing and web design firms and such who wanted to learn how to do it for clients. 
So I took them through the training. Uh, we went step by step on installing this thing, activating it, uh, putting a theme on it, putting content to it, uh, really step by step on how to build a website on WordPress. And as soon as we finished those four weeks, as soon as I had all my recordings, I was going to get them ready and I was going to turn them into a course. I was going to do a big product launch on it and make my million dollars. What do you think happened? <laughs> something changed. <laughs> yeah, something changed. All right. WordPress released a generational update that meant that nothing, even though the functionality did not change a whole lot, that, this is key, even though the functionality didn't change a whole lot, the look and feel of what I would recorded was so different from what users of this product would be seeing when they tried to follow it that I aborted the whole project. I gave everybody who paid for it their recordings and uh, even a year later, I had somebody write to me saying, hey, I watched your recordings and I thought they were great. Yeah, that's awesome. But one thing it taught me is uh, don't document and sell instructions on other people's software. <laughs> so this is a true story, right? So you, you would have heard about you know, the book title, you know, Somebody Moved My Cheese. Yep. Right. So in, in the book, I talk about Somebody Moved My Button. And so it's a true story, right? So... Um, this, this probably would have been going back all the way to 2015, 2014. And um, I had to do some reviews um, on my direct reports. And I had to do some 360 evaluations on, um, I think, about five people. Yeah. And so what, so, so what I did was, um, you know, I got all my notes together, got ready, uh, booked a room in the office as you used to, because, you know, meeting rooms were hard to come by. Yep. Sat down there, opened up my laptop got into the system. And by the way, this is the same system that I used to sell for a living to large organizations, right? So I, I ran this particular part of the business and I went in there and I needed to uh, uh, find the performance review button. And for the longest time on, on this particular page, the, uh, the create form button was at the bottom right hand of the screen. But when I logged on, guess what? It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Yeah. And I was going, what the heck's going on here? So, I, you know, my, 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 because my brain had been trained, it was there. There was something wrong. So I hit refresh, did all this type of stuff. And so I was like, what the heck? I've set an hour aside to do this. I need to get it done. So what did I do? I played that game, you know, who wants to be a millionaire with the three lifelines, right? Yeah. So the first one was I phoned a friend. So I called my HR business partner, <laughs> right? So I said, Mike says, yeah, Raj. I said, I'm trying to do my, these reviews, but for the life of me, I can't because you know, I can't see the damn button. Somebody's moved my damn button. And he, says, did you and he said, did you turn up to uh, the training call we had uh, 10 days ago? I said, no. I said, okay, did you review the documentation we sent you? No. Did you review the WebEx that we recorded? No. And he said, well, Raj, and how on earth am I supposed to help you after we, you know, done all this for you and you haven't you, you haven't you haven't taken advantage of it he says anyway i'll be back in an hour it. and i said well i need it now he says well i'm out at lunch so he hung up so what do i do next the next thing i did was right the next lifeline was um you know 50 50 so i was going through everything and i just couldn't find it so i failed with 50 50 so the last lifeline was you know um pull the audience so what did i do i left the room and i went to the main foyer where everybody was and I saw some colleagues say guys I'm trying to do this does anybody know 
how to create perform. And they all looked at me and says, are you nuts? We're not doing that for another two weeks. So no, we didn't. So I kind of failed on the who wants to be a millionaire type thing, just purely because the button moved. And later what I found was the button moved from the bottom right to the top left. Why? Because they felt that people actually looked at screens from left to right, which kind of seems logical. But at that point in time, I just couldn't find my button. And that's a real thing in a lot of organizations, just moving one button. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and that, is, uh, that is certainly something for us to, uh, to uh, keep in mind. So we're actually at the top of the hour here. And uh, you know, what I want to do is I want to make sure that our listeners have access to a resource that you've created. So I do encourage them to visit your website, which is www.dapstrategist.com forward slash start hyphen here and uh this is actually the same thing that they'll see on the website if they click the red button that says get started here and this is going to give them the opportunity to download a strategy assessment tool so i strongly encourage everybody to check that out uh you can also visit the website you can see raj's book uh which is about the dap strategy a new way of working to de-risk and accelerate your digital transformation, which all sounds very, very, very exciting. I think I'm going to get me a Kindle copy of that myself and uh, just go visit that website. And for those of you who are interested in discovering more, I think you can see that Raj is somebody who can be very helpful to you on that. So Raj Sundarason, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Adam, thank you for the opportunity and, you know, stay safe and healthy and good luck in Vegas. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.